sharing uh, this work that we call energy medicine, this work that we call polarity therapy. It's a great privilege to work with people on this level of consciousness, and I'm grateful to be empowering you and initiating you into working with people. It's my great blessing, and I know it will be a blessing in your life. Now, we're taking a spiritual approach to healing because life is spiritual. Life is a spiritual experience, whether we are able to recognize it or not, and hopefully as we mature, uh, we understand that. Our word spiritual comes from the Latin spiritus, which means breath. And the foundation of our work here is, you see, there's one breath here. It's the same breath, absolutely the same breath that's breathing life into each of us and is sharing life with each of us. Do you hear that? There's one life here. We live in this ocean of life, this ocean of breath. And it's this breath of life that shares this one life, this universal life, this infinite life. In the ancient wisdom of India, the name for the creator is Brahma. And Brahma means an ever-expanding breath of life. A Brahma is a fount of creative intelligence. So here's this, the nature of this life is it unfolds its creative potential. The nature of life is just through everything that grows, everything that lives is an avenue for unfolding this infinite creative potential. So here's this one life, this breath of Brahma, and it's breathing life into each of us. And in every moment, in every breath, we are the unfolding of this creative potential, of this universal life. We are the we are the cutting edge of the unfolding of, of this creation. Uh, that you are the face of the mystery. You are the face of the goddess. You are the face of this amazing, infinite, mysterious uh, intelligence that unfolds through all of us. Uh, the ancient wisdom tells us that for most of us, we live in a condition of ignorance in which we believe we are our story. We believe we are our minds. We are, believe we are this ego mind. We believe we are this story. We believe we are this uh, suffering. And in the ancient wisdom, the cause of our suffering is, is ignorance. Now it's interesting, when we talk about knowledge, we're not talking about book knowledge. When we're talking about healing this ignorance, when we're talking about addressing this ignorance with knowledge, it's it's more like the biblical sense of the knowing. It's a carnal, it's a total bodily experience. (laughs) Uh, That the knowledge that we're talking about is not mental. Uh, That the knowledge that we're talking about is a knowledge that's lived. It's knowledge that infuses every cell of our being. So, the foundation of this work is this understanding uh, that we get from the, 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 the most ancient of sages from ancient India. They have, a, 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 if you study yoga, you will hear that the basis of yoga philosophy is a, a philosophy called Sankhya. 
Uh, Sankhya, the Sanskrit term Sankhya, means to enumerate. And enumerates the, the play of consciousness, the basic principles on how an ocean of intelligence unfolds this creation. And Sankhya is not merely the basis of yoga philosophy, it's the basis of all Oriental philosophy. Because um, Buddhism is kind of a Hinduism light or export Hinduism. Um, and, and, and Bodhidharma took this wisdom based on Sankhya to China where they chant in Sanskrit, to uh, Tibet where they chant in Sanskrit, to Korea and Vietnam and Japan where they all are chanting in Sanskrit because it all has its root in this ancient wisdom of India. And all of the orthodox philosophies have their, their root in Sankhya. And if you go to the Sankhya texts, the first sloka, the first verse in that, in that text says, the purpose of this knowledge is not to get a better job, not the love of learning like European philosophy, but the purpose of this knowledge is the total, the final, the complete, the permanent annihilation of suffering. Do you hear the words I use? Total, final, complete, permanent annihilation of suffering. And the suffering that they're talking about, the Sanskrit word dukkha, does not just mean, you know, the stereotype poverty or disease. The suffering that they're talking about is translated in Thailand as alienation and in, in Tibet as disenchantment. If we were talking about the suffering in the United States today, we'd be talking about guilt or shame or insecurity or inadequacy, that no matter or, or existential terror, ontological insecurity, ontological terror, that no matter what you do, there's always this shadow of, of fear. There's always this, this part of you that's playing out this drama of inadequacy. Uh, there's always this story of my suffering. And the thing is, you know, each of us has a story of our suffering, how our parents disappointed us, or this alcoholism, or this sexual abuse, or this poverty, or this tragedy. But each of us has that story. And 5,000 years ago, the sages were saying, the purpose of this work is self-knowledge. That this knowledge of our divinity is our, is our inherent nature, is divine, and it is our inherent nature to recognize this divinity. So the work we're doing today is based on what we call today transpersonal psychology. Uh, a, a man by the name of Ken Wilbur, who has been called the Einstein uh, of the consciousness movement, uh, one of his earlier books... Uh, was called um, uh, Spectrum of Consciousness. Come on, Ken, where are you? <laughs> Ken Wilbur? Ken Wilbur. And Ken showed that for different levels of evolution, there were different psychologies. Some that work with the ego uh, and the persona. Um, uh, some with, uh, work with us as a biological being, um, like Reichian and 
our sexual energy, uh, but that the capstone of, uh, of therapies was transpersonal uh, psychology, which, where we found our healing, we found our identity, we found our well-being in what he called unitive consciousness, an experience of the oneness of this creation. In Eastern philosophy, this is called Vedanta. Veda means to know, and Vedanta means the culmination of knowledge. What we are capable of evolving into as human beings is the knowledge of our divinity. And this is the culmination of knowledge, self-realization, the realization of our divinity. And one of the things that's been happening on our planet is that the earth, uh, the mind of the earth has been called the noosphere, the intelligence of the earth. And the earth is a living conscious being, just like you or I. And, and her intelligence evolves through each of us. And there's been such an incredible um, leap in consciousness on this earth that it, this, this self-realization, which used to be the exotic ambrosia of a rare saint, is now available to all of us, kind of like a hundredth monkey thing. So I'm just really encouraging you to get that what we're going to be doing in this week is immersing you in an experience of the self and demystifying uh, spiritual practices uh, that promote self-realization. And I just want you to just really get that self-realization is your natural state, that everything you're seeking, you already have. And it's only a simple act of recognition. And everything that we're going to be talking about, everything we're going to be doing here, is focusing on this simple and natural recognition of your divinity. of our work is self-realization. And we're saying that it is very scary to go through life clueless of yourself. You can get a PhD from Stanford or Harvard and be ignorant of the self. Think that you're your mind. Think that maybe you're your mind or emotions or body or story. And in, uh, in the wisdom of ancient India, they call it Sanatana Dharma. Sanatana means prior to time, timeless. That it uh, is a wisdom that lives beyond this creation and it's been here for other creations and will be here for other creations. Um, and Dharma is uh, is the natural order of creation and we know we're, we're practicing Dharma because we experience the sacredness of life. Okay, so I'm not talking about an abstract, an abstract philosophy as Dharma or any kind of good, bad, that you know you're practicing Dharma because you experience the sacredness of life. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, uh, God is truth. That when we are truthful in life, we experience there's an inherent 
sacredness and that gesture of truth so that when we're generous with this creation, when we give to another human being, when we give to a plant, a child, an elder, when we care for life, in that gesture of generosity, of kindness, of respect and love, there's a sacredness inherent in our truthful gesture, in our generous gesture. And, and, and that's Dharma. We know we're practicing Dharma. One of the things we're focusing on is we're going to be studying energy on a cellular level and how, when you're connected to your divinity, there's a great fullness on a molecular level. How there's a well of being in every atom of this body. And how when we're uh, connected to being, we experience this well of being. And we draw from this well of being and we're in this state of a, a great fullness. So you, can, you know when you're connected to your goddess through the simple and most natural and most universal state, this state of gratefulness. Nothing esoteric, nothing pie in the sky. We're talking about your own direct and daily and personal experience of gratefulness. It is, a, it is the light of our life, you know, it's the compass. that the God-realization we're talking about is right in this moment, as you love your flowers, as you love your trees, as you love your birds, as you love your clouds, as you love your children, as you love your friends, as you love to sing and love to dance, and love to make art and beauty and harmony and kindness. This is liberation, right in this moment. So how do we cultivate this great fullness, which is the essence of healing? How do we uh, cultivate these new habits so that we can... Yes, yes, yes. These are questions that have taxed uh, uh, our fellows, you know, for thousands of years. And they said, if we can create these icons outside of ourselves, they can help us get out of our head. And, uh, and we can maybe communicate some of this mystery through these icons, uh, through these symbols. My teacher in India, when she begins her prayers, she takes God out of our heart and she puts it on the altar in the icon, just to make it easier to offer the flowers and to offer the fruit and to offer uh, the, the thousand flowers that she offers each day as she contemplates the mystery and chants its wonders and splendor. And then at the end of that, she takes this essence off of the altar and she brings it back into our heart that everything that she has been worshipping is right here. We talked about this breath of life, this ever-expanding breath of life who is evolving through each of us, Brahma. Brahma is said to be a very abstract principle. Usually the masculine is very subtle and abstract, just a seed. And it's the feminine that allows it to take birth, that is the shakti, the power, the womb, the formative force in creation. One of the icons that personify the feminine aspect of creation is the goddess Saraswati. And Saraswati means essence of self. 
So when we honor Sarasvati, it's a way of, of expressing our gratitude for this gift of creative intelligence, that we are co-creators, that we are a microcosm of the creative process, that our beloved mother-father-creator, like a Jewish mother, <laughs> gave herself so profoundly and so fully to this creation, that each of us is not merely made in the image of God, that, she, that this is the self-sacrifice, that she threw herself into the creative fire and has become each of us. She's not a puppeteer. It is the self-sacrifice. Goddess did not create the world. Goddess has become the world. That this world is a play of this incredible, incredible intelligence that is totally present in every atom, molecule, and cell and free in every atom, molecule, and cell. So when we're talking about energy, when we're talking about life, every atom is, is, is a, a tiny universe which outpictures its state of homeostasis, takes in the, the, uh, its relationship to the environment around it, and creates another state of homeostasis. And just in every... I don't know what atom time is like, you know, in every milli, micromillisecond, this atom is um, outpicturing its state of homeostasis and taking in its environment and self-correcting. Now this recursiveness is the essence of intelligence, this ability to manifest and then take in that experience and self-correct, this recursiveness uh, the cybernetic, this is the essence of intelligence. So when I'm talking about intelligence, I'm talking about an infinite creation where every atom, every molecule, every cell is, uh, is a microcosm of the creative process, creating its dimension, taking in its experience in relationship to the environment around it, and self-correcting. So when I'm talking about creative intelligence, I'm not talking about pie in the sky, I'm talking about your natural state. That this is what every atom of your body is doing. Every molecule, every cell, every vector of physiology, every dimension of nature is a breath of life manifesting its creation and the next breath taking in that experience and self-correcting. So when I talk about creative intelligence, I'm talking about most natural and universal scientific process. And we are, again, a microcosm of this wholeness. The, the wisdom tells us that we live in a holarchy, not a hierarchy, a holarchy, where everything is made of wholeness. Everything is made of this mystery of infinite, infinite intelligence who has given herself so profoundly to this creation. And you personify this mystery of creative intelligence. This is what we're coming. So the goddess Sarasvati, this is a way of honoring and venerating and expressing our gratitude for this gift of creative intelligence that lives through each of us. And her vehicle, the vehicle for this creative intelligence is the swan. The Sanskrit word swan, hamsa, is, is, is a pun is a pun which has to do with the natural sound that the breath makes. 
that it's recognized that the swan that we see here, the swan that's person that's uh, embodied here, that symbolizes the swan is the highest, one of the highest flying birds, and as one of the highest flying birds, it symbolizes uh, the supreme ultimate principle of the breath of life. And that the breath of life is the vehicle of the essence of self, that life is carried on the breath. Do you hear that? What's more obvious? Life is carried on the breath, and this incredible mystery of creative intelligence is carried on the breath. That in every moment, this, this breath is, we live in this ocean of life, and though our senses are tuned into these uh, five uh, elements, there's also a higher octave, an ultrasound that is carried on this breath of life, and spiritists, as we take it in, inspiration, respiration, expiration, this life is playing this musical instrument. So here, the goddess Saraswati is playing the veena, and musical instruments have always been made of guts and hide. Uh, she is playing the veena, this veena, the life, the breath of life, is playing this veena of this body. And we will talk more about the dynamics of how life plays this vena of the body as we go on and we have a little bit more time. So now we are using this mantra. Uh, mantra comes from the same root as man or woman, the Sanskrit root manas, mind. And again, it refers to this creative intelligence. And we're using this mantra, uh, and mantra means a mental instrument, an instrument that protects the mind, that protects our creative potential. That this whole creationism is an ocean of ultrasound, that we have our being by virtue of our attunement with this ocean of ultrasound. So here there's no tool that we have that's more powerful than, our, uh, than using sound, because our word is a microcosm of the holy word. Our, 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 you know, in the beginning uh, was the word, in the beginning is the word, and our breath and our speech is pregnant with our will and intelligence and is a microcosm of the Holy Word. So that our speech is very sacred and very powerful, that here's this breath of creative intelligence, and when we speak, our words are pregnant with our, with our uh, creative potency. So we're using the actual stuff, the actual quintessence of creation, uh, when we use conscious sound, sacred sound, to bring out our uh, intention to evolve, our intention to be free, our intention to be divine, our intention to live in knowledge and service and harmony. So the uh, mantra that we're chanting is made of these bijas, these seeds. Now Sanskrit, uh, the word Sanskrit literally means perfected. It is considered to be a perfected language. The other name for Sanskrit is Devanagari. 
that is a, it's a language of another dimension. It's a, a language of a God realm. And Sanskrit is a psychoactive language that, that um, the Sanskrit alphabet involves all the sounds, the spectrum of vibration that we are capable of making with our lips and palate and throat. That when you learn it, you learn to use every part of your mouth and to make all of the sounds that we're capable of making in a conscious way. And the Sanskrit alphabet involves the order of creation and it is psychoactive that the, um, that the words are not symbols, they're not arbitrary carriers of meaning, uh, but they, are, they uh, manifest the, the states of consciousness uh, that they articulate. The uh, ancient word uh, Brahman did not mean a caste of priests, it meant the act of marshalling the forces of creation into manifestation. So you are a Brahman when you're able to um, bring your will and your consciousness into form. So, uh, so here we are cultivating our divinity and we are using these seeds to manifest these states of consciousness, Om, the Holy Word, I'm the feminine Shakti, the manifest form of Om. A shreem purifies the heart, uh, the mind. Harim uh, sharpens the intelligence, purifies, heals the heart, mind. Sarasvati, uh, essence of self. Uh, Deva, being of light. Uh, Namaha. So I am this being of light. My essence of self is creative intelligence. I am made of this, this ground state of Om and is manifest as I am Shreem Green. I manifest this. I manifest. We are making up new words. I am Sarah Pellet. We manifest. That's to honor. A manifestation that honors. This is manifestation. <laughs> <laughs> we manifest the goddess and uh, manifest her as uh, our own self. So let's uh, chant uh, with, uh, we're chanting with Karunama, the mother of compassion, an Indian contemporary Indian saint. And uh, we will chant uh, this mantra 21 times. At the end of the course, everyone gets a CD with all the mantras on it taken. Take the practices home and integrate them into your life and continue this purification practice. And, uh, and this is the key to healing the heart and the obsession of the mind. As mantra yoga is recognized the most powerful single practice, terribly available, that we have uh, for healing our hearts and stabilizing and purifying and cleansing our minds. Mantra yoga. So this mantra is on the back page of your uh, of your handout, so you don't really have to take notes. We need to go back one. Sarasvati Devi Namah